0: Welcome to the history of networking on the Network Collective, where we drag all the skeletons out of the wiring closet. Today we are talking to Anishai and Rab Shakur, I hope I said those right, probably didn't, about the history of Config. So grab a pile of cookies, settle in and listen as we meld with the finest minds in networking. Hello, Rob. Hello, Anis. Why don't we start with maybe just a little bit of background? I don't know if you two want to talk about yourselves a little bit, how you got into networking or anything like that, or how you fell into the Open Config project. Rob, anything from your side before I kick over to Anis?
1: Sure. I guess my background, I got involved um, working for a number of sort of smaller um, startup network operators and then graduated through broadband providers in the UK from Pipex, cable and wireless, and then into BT, where I've kind of had core networking or software-related roles. Um, and a lot of the, the kind of common themes of those roles were, you know, some of the challenges were interacting with network devices, whether it's for monitoring or configuration. And so that kind of led me to, towards looking more at the kind of software stack surrounding the network, where I fell into being involved with OpenConfig and have since uh, furthered that working at Google.
0: Oh, cool. Good. Excellent. That's right. You're at Google now, right? Right. Right. So you're not in, you're now in San Jose, San, Sunnyvale someplace, or are you in... Uh...
1: Based in Sunnyvale, live in San, San Francisco.
0: Okay, cool. So what about you, niece?
2: Yeah, I'm Anish Sheikh. Um, I am also at Google in the network infrastructure team now. Um, before that, I spent a lot of uh, time at IBM, first in research, um, and then in the product team Um all the time kind of working on networking related topics, although, uh, dallied a little bit in kind of systems and operating systems management, as well as cloud computing for a while. Um, I guess until I came to Google my experience wasn't very operationally focused. It was really more, um, you know, kind of on product and, uh, even before that maybe more academic. Um, but I think I've had a lot of exposure to operations, having come to Google working with, uh, with operations folks like Rob and others in the team here. Um, I guess uh one thing I've been working on probably throughout most of my research and kind of product career is kind of the the management side of both systems and networking. So uh it was a relatively um kind of interesting and easy um transition to kind of focus on how we want to op- uh, automate and, and operate uh large scale networks going forward and it's kind of um started the genesis of open config uh at, at Google in some of the early days.
0: Yeah so so network management is the bogeyman it's the it's the horrible side of uh, networks it seems like a lot of times right uh, some people call it an oxymoron network management
1: <laughs> i think it's the uh, interesting part of networks and i would say that the uh... It's kind of the the place where, as as networking, we're trailing behind other areas, right? Like my background was managing a bunch of you know Linux systems, and then you kind of look at the way that you managed hundreds, of thousands of systems ten years ago in in. System admin was—we're uh, still not even maybe quite there for networking. So, the group that Anisa and I are in uh, in Google is really focused not just on like the API to network devices, but much wider network management. And I think we're we're kind of taking the steps of bringing network management uh, towards where the state of the art for management of other systems is, rather than just kind of accepting it, the uh, Perl scripts that we did ten years ago. <laughs> Perl scripts. What, 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 what are we missing? <laughs> In pull scripts, <laughs> There are many pull scripts that exist that should not
2: exist, I think. I will say coming from kind of the even the research side where I started a lot of my work and I'm still a little bit involved there, it's always been a challenge getting the community really excited about, you know, working in the space of network management. I mean, I think um, the most prominent folks in the research community, for example, Um, are always more interested in performance and um, scale and and topics like uh, congestion control and new routing architectures, et cetera. I think network management has been hard to get people excited about despite our best efforts. Although I will say that recently there's been a little bit of an uptick, I think, in focus on network management, given that our networks keep growing and they keep getting harder and harder to manage.
0: Okay. So, Anis, before we started, you were talking about some background to OpenConfig and how it kind of got started and and where things began before Rob came into it. So why don't you give us a little bit of that, and then we'll get Rob in and start talking about where it went from there.
2: Yeah, I'm actually really interested to hear Rob's first impressions of when we did it. <laughs> I'm not sure we've ever talked about it. No um, pressure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Yeah, so, you know, this notion of intent-based networking, declarative configuration, I think these concepts have now been talked about and been around um, for a little while. But uh, I think when we first started looking at this, they were still fairly early. And we had, at Google, uh, tried to introduce the notion of intent-driven declarative configuration for some parts of our user-facing backbone. I think we've since published how that management infrastructure or architecture works um, in the context of Espresso, which is sort of our way of bringing SDN to the edge. And that system was one of the first in which we introduced some of these concepts where we were configuring a combination of, of hardware and software components. And initially we we realized we needed a model for, for configuring um, these things. And we were leveraging an internal schema that we developed that was primarily focused on describing the structure of the network, less so the configuration, but we were... Um, you know I tried to adapt it for configuration, and I think with uh, uh, it, while it worked, I think there were some parts of it that were suboptimal so I think when we started thinking about how to expand declarative attempt based configuration model driven configuration to the wider um, network, I think uh, we took a step back and started looking at some other techniques um, or other kind of proposals that had been around and We started some internal discussions in I guess first quarter of two thousand and fourteen around whether um, looking at uh, Yang models might be a good alternative, primarily driven by the fact that there was some industry adoption already happening, and we were interested in getting um, the external community working with us on defining these data models. Um, and in addition, I had been working for a while in the ONF on defining uh, this ill-fated um, project called OFCONFIG. This was for basically a vendor-neutral configuration approach for OpenFlow networks. Um, Spent several years on it. Ultimately, it didn't really go that far, but I think it at least gave us some exposure um, to Yang modeling and to kind of how it would be used for configuration in the sort of operational model-driven world that we're heading for. And I remember, I think, or, or I kind of dug up recently the sort of first internal deck proposing that we set up an organization where we could leverage um, or actually uh, collaborate with external um, operators uh, back in, I think, August of 2014 is when that deck initially circulated. So between sort of first quarter and the third quarter, we, I guess we had plenty of internal discussion and debate around whether this was a, a beneficial path forward. Um, I think before we could really go forward, one issue that we tried to address was around how do we make it really easy for operators, large and small, to work in this effort? I think we're really concerned that if we created an or, a formal organization that required you know, participants to sign an NDA for there to be some sort of formal governance, um, other agreements that need to be signed, it would end up in legal review that would take just forever and ever. So instead, we tried to form this as a kind of more informal grassroots engineering and architecture, architect-driven effort where – Uh, we basically got approval from our legal team to go forward with some risk of having, you know, no agreements in place, but we mitigate it by having these uh, operators agree to sort of common set of interests. And also this work is very non-proprietary, right? So the risk of anything being shared that wasn't um, appropriate is pretty low. So I think we agreed with our team internally that, you know, it's probably worth the risk uh, to get this effort off the ground to really reduce the friction of getting other people involved. And we've kept that model ever since. Um, and the idea was, you know, the sort of grassroots idea, we approached a few engineers and architects at uh, just three other organizations at the outset. So we had been having some discussions on other topics with AT&T labs. Um, and we got involved uh, folks like uh, Chris Chase and Jim Mataro. Uh, Kevin De who's kind of their modeling lead now at AT&T Labs, um, in some of the early discussions around which models we should focus on, uh, how to sort of form this community, <laughs> and then also at Microsoft, uh, I had been working with Deepak Bansal in the ONF on OF Config. So between Deepak and Vijay Gill, who was at uh, Microsoft at the time, um, started engaging Microsoft as well. They had a similar interest in sort of moving towards uh, model-driven automated config. So and then.
0: I just want to break in for a second and ask. So at the very, very beginning, why didn't you choose to go to SNMP? Because SNMP is kind of model-driven, but not the same way. I mean, it might be helpful for people listening to even go back there and then say, what is the difference between SNMP and Yang? Um, So that they understand why SNMP wasn't chosen or isn't isn't the way forward.
2: Yeah, I don't think we even considered SNMP at all just because it hasn't been commonly used as a mechanism for configuration. It's primarily been for monitoring. And there we were kind of pursuing another alternative to SNMP around streaming telemetry, which is sort of a companion effort in the overall open config kind of model. So I guess this was the main reason we didn't really consider SNMP, although it's capable of, of pushing configuration to devices. um, I think there's a bunch of issues with doing it. It wasn't really widely adopted. It didn't, Makes sense as a vehicle for actually getting wider adoption and collaboration. I don't know, Rob, if you want to add something. I think
1: there was a point in time thing. So I think if you'd looked at, um, excuse me, if you'd looked at during the, um, the last 10 years of MIB development, you'll see that there has not been very much MIB development. Like BGP MIB v2 has been in working groups in the ITF for years and not ever made it you know, much further than, than um, a working group draft. So at the time, I think there was already an industry move um, towards uh, towards Yang as a replacement. So I think one of the things that we really picked up on and took advantage of in, in OpenConfig was, hey, everybody's talking about Yang models, so why don't we try and make that concept actually Real and and make them usable, um, with the view that also like writing MIBs is exceptionally painful and it's not like even after the the tooling around them is much better than it was around Yang at the time. Um, it's it's still not a, a a good thing or a easy thing to develop a MIB.
0: Yeah, and, and I I would say that the primary reason behind that might be that MIBs the dictionary is in the standard rather than in the device. And therefore, the device just doesn't know much except that you've this here and it's in that particular 1.1.1.45, whatever. Whereas with Yang, it's more like HTML, it's XML type based stuff. So it's actually a TAR, it's a markup language. So you end up being able to human read it and you end up being able to... Um, write your code much more flexibly. The code around it can be much more flexible. That's kind of my impression. Yeah,
1: I guess that we'd seen how uh, the kind of strict table structure of, of the SM1 and, and MIPS imposed on SNMP has had significant scaling challenges. Like right. if you've ever tried to pull like the MAC address table from a device, then just the fact that you need to structure the data in a very specific way can be very costly. So I think one of the, the advantages of, of the way you know Yang approaches things is that it is much more, it, it, there is some more flexibility. There's not, you know, complete flexibility, but I think you, we had a much easier way to be able to kind of look at what the the data model would look like. Um, I mean, we can get onto it, but I don't think Yang is perfect. I think it. it I don't even think it's that great, to be quite honest. But um, it's uh, it's um, it, it's a lot more expressive and, and easier to to maybe outline the the concepts that you want than it is in a MIP, anyway.
0: Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. um, So maybe just to complete the thought on kind of a couple of the other milestones, and then we can circle back to to Yang. I think Rob summarized it well, at least some of the initial uh, considerations Um, because I didn't get to mention that, you know, the last sort of person we approached in this was Rob himself uh, to try to get um, based on some interactions I think we'd had in the ITF, not myself, but other folks in in my team in network architecture um, suggested that, uh, Hey, there's this engineer at BT, who makes a lot of noise in the ITF, probably has some good ideas uh, for this stuff um, and is probably aligned in uh, in his thinking, uh, maybe we should reach out to him. So I still remember that first kind of web conference I had with Rob, just pitching the idea, and I think we sort of clicked immediately on kind of being aligned on this being a worthwhile thing to pursue. Um, so we got Rob for the in the mix. I think that was um, roughly, I think, in uh, – maybe September-ish time frame, maybe a bit earlier than that. And then in October of that year, um, we sort of, you know, formalized it a bit further with, you know, we set up a GitHub repo. We checked in the first model, which was, we bit off quite a big model to start with. We started with BGP, which maybe in hindsight, wasn't the best choice given its complexity and size. Um, but it sort of, I think was a, filled in a useful uh, gap, I think in the existing models that were out there. And then we presented it, um, to the wider community at the following ITF uh, ITF ninety one Honolulu fire call in uh, in November of, of twenty fourteen, so that was sort of the the early kind of genesis of the project. You know, it started out um, some internal interest at Google, but very quickly we got other operators involved, and and you know Rob in particular. So we've been kind of you know uh, co shepherding or maintaining the project um, since that time.
0: Cool, excellent. So. Yeah, so what, uh, Rob, why don't you explain a little bit about what Open Config is? Because you know we've gone this part to this point, and I'm not sure everybody listening to the podcast is even going to is even going to know like what's the difference between Open Config and Yang, and all these other things we're throwing all, around a lot of terms.
1: Sure. So Open Config is actually a working group of a set of network operators that are working together to to collaborate on, I would say, general management uh management plane technologies so to start with the the kind of first thing we looked at was the and the kind of fundamental basis of the of the group is the data models so that what yang is is a data modeling language it lets you basically describe a schema um, the schema that we're describing is a vendor neutral schema for both the configuration and the, the operational state of a network device so we're thinking interfaces the routing protocols, BGP, IS, AS, the the fundamental constructs like VRFs, and we call them network instances. So there's a set of data models that OpenConfig kind of defines as a schema for a network device. Since then, we've kind of been developing the surrounding ecosystem because it's not really just these data models, which are very nice text files that you can read through and say, oh, great, there's this field that lets me set the AS number for, for a device, for example, but you also want to be able to do something with those devices. And so we've both define. We've defined a set of the RPCs and the APIs to network devices that support both um, kind of modern configuration manipulation. Um, so you know, using some of the distributed systems lessons that we've taken from a variety of community efforts as well as inside of Google, uh, developed a protocol called gNMI that lets you manipulate the configuration of device as well as as Anise kind of mentioned the uh, as well as stream the telemetry data. So one of the the big things and the kind of the the Focuses we've had has been to try and make sure that we can think about how you operate the system holistically. It's not just oh here's a part of the system that lets you push configuration. There's also here's the way that you scalably get data out of the device to know how it's running, to know how the routing protocols on it are running. So you can you can build an automation system around it. So we um, kind of expanded into that that tele- telemetry and 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 configuration API space. We also have a set of uh, projects that define microservices for some of the operational commands that you run on network devices. So, you know, clearing BGP neighbors or um, re-optimizing RSVP, LSPs, things that are not uh, configuration, but they're a, a, a command that you run on the device. So OpenConfig defines those those definitions. And then uh, over the last few years, I think it became very evident that the ecosystem around Yang itself wasn't really sufficient. So we also have a set of open source projects that that kind of, build the tooling that you would need to build both an either a network management system or on network device, on network uh, implementation of some of these protocols. So for example, we have a library that generates um, Python structures from uh, Python classes from a, a Yang model. One that does the same for Go. One that does Protobuf messages. We have a reference implementation of gNMI itself for telemetry. We have a collector that's that's open sourced. So all these things kind of fall within the the kind of remit of OpenConfig um, and really aim to further this mission of like, let's make network devices manageable in the way that we would expect other elements of a distributed system to be manageable in the 21st century.
0: Okay. So, so what you're telling me is open config is a lot more than just Yang models.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, Absolutely. I would, yeah. <laughs> I would just maybe add, or maybe restate it's a, uh, it's we kind of describe it internally as well as, as sort of an ecosystem of um, models, uh, protocols, um software tools and and artifacts that basically help define kind of an abstraction layer for managing devices holistically, as Rob pointed out, right. I think not okay. just configuration, but also telemetry. Um, I'll also point out that I think some of the software tooling that we have, whether it's around how to turn Yang models into actual code that you could use, um, Rob has written all of that tooling almost single-handedly, right? I think with some help from folks internally, but I think he's written multiple tool chains. So it's really a tremendous... Effort. So,
0: so Rob is the history of OpenConfig by himself.
2: On the software tooling side, I think uh, <laughs> a lot of it is down to, to Rob's work. I think um, uh, I've been a kind of participant more on the model definition side um, and working with the external community, but I think on the software tools, Rob and, and others, uh, both inside and outside Google, have been really driving. I,
1: I, I think this is one of the fundamental things that, that's kind of different about OpenConfig to, to some of the other maybe open source projects or, or uh, industry efforts to develop data models. Really, because we're uh, the set of folks that are working on it are all you know, engineers within a, a network operator, then we're focused on doing things, right? We're not, like, the 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 fact that we have written a Yang model, it's super important for how do we have the schema for telemetry or the schema for configuration, but it's not sufficient. And so across the group, we can have contributors in different areas, some of whom are contributing you know, software to, to kind of make the models usable, some of whom are bringing their operational and data modeling expertise to define, defining uh, the, the schema for devices. And those things add up and, and are kind of dependent on each other, right? It's no point having a telemetry model or a configuration model, um, configuration API if you ha- you don't really know what the schema is going to be uh, that you transport to if you want to actually configure a network. So the, the group has really been focused on having folks who want to do stuff – Uh, build the things that they need to do stuff, not folks to, you know, publish a a Yang model and then kind of sit back. It's how do we get it usable and deployable in our real networks?
0: So take us through building the BGP model. I mean, you started with BGP, which as you said, is probably the most complex, hardest. Take us through like what that meant. How did you start that? How did you choose BGP? What all did it take to get through that process of building a BGP model?
2: Well, I can start and then maybe Rob can finish. You know, but <laughs> that's kind of how the model development worked actually in reality. I think, um, you know, I, at that time in Google, our, our kind of BGP configuration was relatively simple, I think, compared to more traditional service providers and, and telecom networks. So um, we basically started by look by reviewing kind of our internal usage to um, inform kind of the initial design of the configuration. So, you know, Basic peer groups, neighbors, uh, and some basic global configuration. Um, I think we had an early, uh, reasonably good early view of what the overall structure of the model should be from kind of a hierarchical perspective, um, but it wasn't nearly complete enough to be useful for the broader community. I think it was maybe sufficient for our initial set of use cases. So uh, I think myself, with the help of some of the other folks in our org who had a bit more operational experience with running BGP um, helped put together that initial draft. And then when we uh, kind of recruited uh, some of the folks from AT&T, Microsoft, BT, Rob in particular, um, I think we were able to much further sort of flesh out that model, add support for additional use cases. Um, And then I think the first thing we brought forward to ITF, there was certainly some uh, skepticism or criticism that the model wasn't nearly complete enough. There are lots of features we didn't, Support, But I think that's one of the tenets of OpenConfig is that we start with a basic set of operationally useful or operationally complete um, parameters, both from a config and telemetry perspective, without necessarily wanting to be exhaustive. And I think we've tried to keep that um, tenet through the development of all the models. And we sort of set that that kind of principle uh, with the BGP model. It's grown over time. We've added features over time. But I think it's been a relatively stable um, model. I mean, modulo some of the refactoring that we've done to sort of have it fit into the network instance model, for example, that that Rob uh, mentioned earlier.
1: How how do you handle the case where different vendors may have uh, features that are kind of actively oppose each other?
2: Well, I think in those cases, we have to uh, make a choice based on what we think makes sense operationally. So I think we do have cases in, in several models where, Different vendors have fundamentally different approaches of how they um you know configure or even structure their data. And uh we basically end up having to make some choices and working with those vendors or implementers on seeing how they can support the model. I mean we do this through a lot of collaboration with the vendors. I think we do take a lot of feedback. We've made adjustments to models to make it easier for vendors to implement. Um but it's a fundamental problem, I think, of any time you try to build a vendor neutral representation. And right? I think you I will think
1: it's- I think it's it's more than just a fundamental problem of when you're building a representation. It's a fundamental problem of designing a network that's got multiple vendors in, right? Because you have something that, that your service is going to offer. Let's say you're offering an L3 VPN service. If you want to prov- provide that across an Alcatel, sorry, Nokia and um, Cisco and a Juniper provider edge device, then you have to make some choice as to what features I, is my product going to offer and what's it not. So you have to sort of do some normalization anyway. And I think when when I was at BT, we were finding and cable and wireless, we often found these kind of problems where we said, okay, what would... You know we're going to offer this because it's the feature that we can offer across all vendors, and we would feature request it if we needed. And OpenConfig is fundamentally opinionated in that way, right? We look at the way to that that makes sense to configure something or makes sense uh, to to specify something, and then we we kind of take that approach. And it means that rather than defining the lowest common denominator across all vendors, we define an operationally usable set of features. And yep, some vendors won't support some things in it, but that's. Uh, that's the case of, is there customer demand to get them to to, to that stage? And of, often, you know, if, if you're looking at the AT&Ts and the BTs of the world, there's a, a list of, in your RFP of all the features that you need to support such that you could be considered for that role. And that there's a lot of normalization because of that.
0: Interesting. So, yeah, so... Um... So you work through this by just grabbing the configurations, but you're not following the configurations, right? You're trying to build a data model that's completely separate as you work through the process of of building an, an Open Config model.
1: Right. Like, so you, you, you kind of look at the set of features that are enabled on the device, and you you know, let's say for a BGP peer, and you kind of say, okay, well, what's the we need a way to be able to configure hold time. We need to be able to configure the Keep alive interval. We need to be able to configure what address families are enabled, etc. And then uh, as Anise kind of said, there's a bunch of work going into, well, what's the structure of that look like? And then choosing, you know, where where fields fit in such that they're grouped logically, they make sense in terms of, uh, you know, an operator when they're trying to uh, work with the config, developing the config or underst- or parsing it uh, to be able to know where things, you know, what logically these things fit together. So there's there's a lot of that work. I think one of the things that um, took took us some time and is another kind of uh, tenant of open Conflict is um we have we striving for a very consistent modeling paradigm so across all of the models we ha- we try and have make sure that we're consistent in terms of the way that telemetry and uh, related to an entity relates to its configuration and the structure being consistent which is all these are kind of the kind of things that take a bunch of time but actually really affect the usability of the the output so that a lot of our initial work on bgp was you know even kind of figuring out how the how the, what those those uh, style guide rules should be at the start, such that we could consistently apply them through the models
2: yeah, I mean I would just add that I think one of the hardest things in the in defining the vendor neutral models is to basically look across all of these vendors and sort of uh, consider from an operational perspective not just ourselves but other operators in the group, of course, uh, what we think makes the most sense in terms of how to think about uh, managing that particular, you know, entity or construct. Right? And I think then it's a matter of, um, you know, one of the things that we do in open config is that we try to make sure that whatever features and so on that we support uh, are in fact kind of relatively common in that multiple uh, major vendors do support them. So in doing that, we need to look across multiple implementations. So there's a fair bit of effort that goes into kind of uh, figuring out what the right structure is um, in terms of what's supported and then, what makes operational sense.
0: All right, cool. So um, so now you get to the point where you're building these models and you start thinking about all these tools that you need. So, I mean, how does that work? I mean, how do you decide, or is that just mostly the community deciding to do stuff and putting it out there, or how does that piece come into it?
1: So I guess that the uh, the initial way this this started is when when I was at BT we were looking and we kind of looked and there was essentially the tail NCS product uh, at the time and um, that was the oh you want to use Yang models you should use this thing um, we we had some discussions with them and we've kind of found it didn't really fit quite uh, that well into our development approach how we wanted to write code wasn't how the how NCS was kind of making us write code. So I sat down and thought, well, how hard can it be to write, you know, Python generation from Yang? <laughs> and it
0: turns out it was it was
1: a lot harder than I thought. Um but um we kind of, kinda of developed a bunch of expertise as to okay, this is maybe uh, how the API should look to a developer, and that I think has has been something that's really that's driven a lot of the tooling development is that we've started out with this view of like, hey, we're network engineers, we're not we're wanting to write uh, configuration generation that really makes sense and is really, um, you know, it's easy to maintain. For us, it's not like very, uh, it's not convoluted APIs, it's not odd ways of interacting with the configuration. So uh, we we built the Python validation to be super Pythonic, I think, as, as far as it could be, uh, and make sure that it, it felt like writing Python. Um, then Pythonic. as I, you know, we kind of I, got I into... Uh, What's super Pythonic? <laughs> uh, I just have to know. <laughs> Pythonic is uh, making something like very idiomatic in Python. Okay. <laughs> so it feels like writing Python. It doesn't feel like you're doing something different than writing uh, writing Python. So if you're familiar with most Python APIs, then you probably are familiar with uh, find the the way that the the python generated from yang kind of feels normal to write, in. and the same we 've done for making idiomatic go et cetera so those those uh, toolkits that we've built are really they 're not a whole network management system they 're not tightly coupled to any particular implementation they 're just code generation from a yang model so it 's kind of the usable bit of the yang model rather than the just the the schema definition, and then those can be built into wider
2: frameworks so uh, yeah, you could... <laughs> sorry, go ahead, Rob. <laughs> no, no. After you. Uh, no, I was just gonna say one thing that we sort of joke about when we talk about this externally also is that um, the Yang models taken by themselves, you know, don't do anything, right? You can't use them to build any sort of network management system, you can't use them to configure any device. You have to actually turn them into code artifacts that let you do something. And I think that's what a lot of this tool chain that Rob was describing enables you to do. And I just wanted to also add a kind of a tidbit on this notion of of idiomatic um, code generation. I think we had some false starts on this, in particular on the the Go language bindings. I think we had an internal implementation initially that was um, not idiomatic in terms of writing Go. In other words, someone who's used to writing Go would sit down and try to use that library to generate um, uh, structures from Yang models and find it quite painful. And I think when Rob joined the team, um, we are kind of he started looking at why the adoption of this stuff was um, getting hindered. And I think uh, it started the effort to recreate that tool chain in a way that makes it much more idiomatic to write. And it really improved adoption significantly. So I think those kinds of considerations from a development point of view are really important. I think when building, you know, tooling around uh, these sort of models, the models themselves are just, you know, the artifact that is a starting point, you can't do anything with them.
1: Yeah, I think we actually a few ITFs ago. It's probably more than I would like to admit at this point. Uh, stood up and put. I gave a talk that just sort of said nobody cares if you're writing in Yang or not. I don't think it really matters. Um, it's a useful schema definition language. It has some of the features that that we need, um, but really. If you, as a network engineer, want to write configuration, you're very unlikely to do anything with an actual Yang module. You're going to do something with some way to interact with that Yang module, and that's got to be some generated code uh, from that. I mean, yeah, sure you could probably you can write JSON that conforms to the model or XML and then validate against it, but that's probably not what you want to do to you, you these frameworks both give you a structure to fill in as well as enforce a lot of the rules that are in the yang module so it, you know things like this leaf must reference this other other uh, an existing leaf in the schema, so a bgp policy that's applied must be a bgp policy that you've defined, or this integer must be between forty two and forty eight those kind of things are uh, also enforced in the the code generation, which gives you, um, it gives you a bunch of the advantages of actually having a, a machine readable schema for describing configuration, which you didn't have if you just you know you're just writing JSON out or writing XML out.
0: Cool, excellent. So. Um... Yeah. So, I, anything. So, one thing I did want to ask is, I wanted to ask about the interaction with the ITF. Like, how is that gone? I mean, what what, what drove you to bring things to the ITF? Has it been? Is it something that you're? I don't know. I'm just curious because, I mean, I, since obviously the open config stuff is in the ITF, and the ITF has its own standards as well. I guess that that's correct.
2: Yeah, maybe I'll say a little bit, and then I think our stance has evolved a bit and let Rob sort of uh, comment further. Uh, Because I was just chuckling while looking at our first internal deck where, uh, and even what we proposed in the ITF, I think if you look at our very first presentation there, um, I think we're very clear about wanting to get feedback from the wider ITF community and had the hope at the time that ultimately these models might, you know, converge, even though – you know, we had an interfaces model. The ITF had an interfaces model that was already RFC'd. Um, there was some work in the ITF uh, driven by vendors building a BGP model, and we were trying to look at, you know, where there were similarities and differences. Same with the MPLS model. We actually spent a lot of time trying to align, and I think we actually got some alignment. Um, so for a while, we had uh, a fair bit of interaction. I think we were publishing several models as drafts in the ITF, um, mostly to kind of inform the wider community of what we're doing from an operator perspective so that it might inform some of the work going on there with, as I said, the ultimate kind of aspiration was to maybe in the future, look at how these things could converge to one model. And I think we got close in some cases, you know, until um, we got to the issue of how we model uh, operational state. And I think there we, we ended up after many discussions in the ITF uh, coming to a bit of a divergence on on principles of how we think operational state should be, should be modeled and managed um, in the models. I mean, this is where I might let you know. Rob speak a bit more to this particular point and how the things diverge.
1: Yeah, I, I guess I'll take a step back about how the ITF and operators have kind of engaged. So I've been involved in the ITF for. a, a too uh, too long at this point it's probably over 10 years at this point which i don't really want to admit um and the there's always been a tension between you know what operationally you want to achieve and what the vendor kind of agenda of the day is and the the representation inside of the itf is very vendor heavy so often that kind of sets the sets what's being worked on and my first engagements with in the itf were around error handling in bgp where we'd had a large outage due to what we considered odd error, behavior, error handling behavior, and I was trying to motivate some changes, which eventually became RC seventy six hundred six, which are to do with like making the protocol more robust to errors. And so there've been the, the the open config approach initially had, had been to kind of go in and say, can we motivate some work here to to push uh, to push this in the right direction? But the the ITF has really not taken an iterative approach on on Yang model. it's models. It's kind of said, okay, we're going to We're going to work on these until such time as we think they do do everything that we need, and then we're going to get our chisels out, and we're going to carve them into stone for an RFC, and then that'll become the final model. Um, And it's kind of opinionated about what the ways to interact with those models are. Oh, everything should be NetConf. It wasn't until further down the line that NetConf and and Yang were really kind of decoupled. For a long time, Yang was the modeling language for NetConf. So OpenConfig tries to be a lot more iterative than that. We try to define what we think is operationally useful. We try. We're happy to make a, a few mistakes and go back and fix them because, as we learn from the operational uh, lessons of, of actually deploying things, and we're uh, I think we're less opinionated again about the protocols that uh, that should be used. You know, like at the t- at the time we were first discussing this, we were talking with folks from Facebook who were talking about using Thrift, and we were talking about using gRPC, and there was a, you know all kinds of different directions that that we could have gone in. So the those two, the model, that iterative development model is really not well aligned with the way that the IETF is working on things. And it became clear that as we were trying to apply more consistency through the models, the IETF is very happy with this kind of decentralized working group model to define. Um, Define the models. And despite some efforts, it, uh, you know, there's been some good work to define the common types, but really there's no consistent feeling through the IETF models if you try and use them. And there's no consistent kind of standard as to what's in the model and what's not. So those, those things meant make it very difficult for us as OpenConfig to say, okay, like, here's our model um and please adopt this because the feedback is well it doesn't do everything and it's like well yes that's the aim it does enough <laughs> that we can deploy it and then we, we're going to find out that we're missing something then we're going to add it and um and the the model this kind of more uh, opinionated way of modeling was very difficult to to align across the itf so really until uh, the, the ITF took a long time to make some of the decisions as to how it wanted to even represent some of the things like the way the operational state did, such that we wanted to move faster than that. And I think the reality was that we needed to move faster than that, otherwise we would have made no progress. And so at this point, the models look quite different. Um, it's pretty tricky for, to to realign them. Um, and I would say that OpenConfig has a wider adoption in, in vendor implementations, because one of the things we've tried to focus on is how implementable is this for vendors rather than, uh, like, does it have all the fields in it? So I think at this point there's, there's probably not a huge amount of um, of alignment between the models. One thing we are doing is taking our lessons back to the ITF, though. So a lot of the work that we've done on streaming telemetry, we've gone and presented in the ITF. We've contributed ideas towards what we think Yang Next should do. Some of the semantic versioning, so the new versioning approach that the the NetMod Working Group is trying to take on, Yang is heavily influenced by work that, that we've done and we've, we've shared back to the ITF. So I think that's the, that is kind of there's some complementary work, there's a different set of models uh, out there, and it, it really depends on where you uh, fit as a, an operator as to what your strategy is, what you want to use, and uh, also how prepared to, um, to contribute you are. Because for OpenConfig, there's likely, if you look at the models, you'll probably find something that's not supported. Now, our, the barrier to uh, adding it is pretty low. You come and say, well, this thing's missing, and either will you know, the working group will model it, or you can contribute the YANG directly. The IETF it's a bit it's gonna be a bit more difficult. You need to wait for the next revision, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, it, it, but if you're if you'd like to just pick up a model that has all fields in it, then maybe the IETF ones do do that. Now, whether that's actually easy to use for you or easy to adopt is uh, is a different matter because there isn't the same philosophy of like where is this supported, and there's lots of things like features uh, flags that enable things and disable things that are a bit more complicated where open config has actually said, well, for Yang, we don't, we don't support features. We don't have these choice constructs. We, we try and be clearer about what uh, the subset
2: of Yang that's usable for us.
0: Cool. Yeah. That's, that's good. Actually. I mean, I've often wondered why after the SNMP experience, the other uh, may have experience that the ITF just didn't give up on building the models and just standardize the languages and the protocols and let it go. But you know, there's like this infinite temptation to go out there and build drafts around this stuff, I guess. I don't, I don't necessarily always understand it. It's a
2: low bar, right? I think that uh, doing a draft for a model is relatively straightforward. I think uh, yeah. actually putting the thought into the model structure is the, the hard part. And I think that's, yeah. and having the cohesive model that Rob mentioned, I just wanted to reiterate one thing that, that Rob was saying, which is I think we early on realized that you have to treat the models like software artifacts, not like documents that you write and standardize and so on. And so in other words, this notion of being able to iterate led naturally to the need to be able to version them. So this notion of versioning came very early in the case of open config models and we published sort of how a methodology of how we would do that. Um, And I think just now, as Rob mentioned, the NetMod working group is sort of looking at, well, we need a versioning approach, right? Because uh, we're seeing lots of, um, divergence on on versions that we need to be able to track this. So I think they're realizing some of the practical problems that, that we experienced early on through trying to use the models to actually build these systems. Um, and I think similarly, the operational state discussion, although we didn't end up in, in an aligned place in the approach, um, I would argue that I think, you know, the open config kind of approach really started that discussion in the ITF. And we had several kind of meetings um, with the NetMod Working Group on on how to approach requirements for modeling operational state um, and different uh, ways to actually do it, so I think it triggered a bunch of um, work in the ITF. I think, as Rob said, we still are giving things, uh, giving experiences back um, to the ITF. So I think there's connection, but I, as I, as as Rob also said, I'm I'm a little bit less um, thinking about uh, kind of aligning uh, anytime soon. I, look, I'm an optimist, so I will say, I would never say never. There's always a possibility that maybe in the future, these things kind of get realigned, but I think we have um, enough adoption, I think in the vendor implementations and even among operators that uh, I think there's a fair bit of traction with the open approach. And
1: I think this isn't a unique, you know, this isn't unique to uh, modeling of, of configuration and state that the ITF is finding this right. So there, there's, um, you can see that there's a, uh, uh, proprietary or industry collaboration efforts that are outside of the ITF that would have been traditionally more in the ITF uh, because the model isn't maybe working quite as well. And so this is, uh, th- this is something that, you know, we're contributing. I continue to contribute to the ITF to kind of see, can we align the ITF with where, it need- where we think it needs to go for, for being more iterative to being... For having better velocity, but it, in general, there's some struggle for operators that aren't that are developing their own code or have their own uh, in-house uh, expertise that they kind of need to go faster than the ITF is able to support. Right. So, so looking back, what would you two do differently about OpenConfig if you could change something, make it better, faster? I think that I would. Um, so we we kind of looked for a bunch of time at how much of the configuration surface area you have to have to be um, to be usable, and so we we spent a long time kind of saying, oh well, we'll go model this, we'll model this, we'll model this, we'll move on to this other model, and. Um, built up a good kind of breadth of model implementations before necessarily initially looking at the kind of pushing for the first implementations on vendor devices. So we were kind of, oh, we should get to one whole deployment scenario that we can model in OpenConfig before we deploy deploy this. And what we kind of realized a bit further down the line was, well, actually... This is probably not practical in terms of we'll aligning all the stars that we have a whole device that's completely expressible in Open Config is uh, as the first hurdle will probably mean that we're waiting too long to, to deploy it. So we came up with this idea that we call mixed schema. So basically, we support having Open Config models alongside vendor models or Open Config models alongside traditional CLI, and then bite off a chunk, a chunk to model in Open Config. So we say, okay, let's move all the BGP config to Open Config. Let's move all the interface config to Open Config. And so I think if we, I one thing I kind of think we might have realized, well, it's 2020 in hindsight, right? We might have realized earlier was that that approach would have been a better way to to kind of iteratively move to to having the model data there, um, rather than the one the one that we we took where we were a little bit more holistic.
2: Yeah, I mean, maybe just adding. A- along the same lines, I guess, also the way we've engaged vendors, I think, has in, evolved in terms of implementation. I think it's it's sort of the same point that Rob has made about these things are developed and need to be also deployed, tested, uh, gotten experience with incrementally, right? So um, I think going to an implementer, uh, like a router vendor, and saying, okay, here's uh, BGP and interfaces and MPLS and RSVP, and here's all the set of things you need to focus on. I think we learned that being much more focused and specific uh, as an operator in terms of here are the basic set of features we need to be able to implement this feature. So if, uh, in, to implement this sort of configuration, if it's BGP configuration, here's the minimal set of things that we need uh, to be able to actually use this and get experience with it. as opposed to here's a BGP model, come back and tell us when you've implemented it, right? So it's the BGP model plus a really tight specification of what are exactly the fields that we need to support, let's say, for a simple role in the network so that vendors have a clear view of what they need to implement to be able to get feedback on their implementation from us. And we have kind of a smaller surface area to test and and so forth. The other thing maybe quickly I'll mention is that um, we've been fairly – focused on making sure that the models are driven from an operator viewpoint. And I think, um, you know, there's uh, an interest in increasing kind of the velocity and how we can uh, evolve the models to support more use cases from operators that I think has made us realize that we need to also kind of evolve the way that we get contributions to the model. So rather than, you know, being limited to only um, operators who are in the group, uh, now we've developed kind of an approach whereby we can get, um, additional folks who may not be kind of strictly members of Open Config, whether they're vendors or other ISVs um, who have an interest in using the models uh, and need some features or use cases supported to be able to propose those. And then we would shepherd those um, proposals and make sure that they're aligned with Open Config from a modeling and structure perspective. So I think that was another thing that we came to a bit later, but I think it was um, uh, something that I think is going to be critical to get back to some, having some philosophy.
0: Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, that's really cool. That's Thanks for coming on guys and talking to us about the history of OpenConfig and a little bit about the ecosystem and, you know, where it came from and where you think things could have been done differently and how to interact with the ITF and all that. It's a really, really great conversation over OpenConfig. And um, hopefully people really appreciate the work that goes into this and, uh, you know, just what it takes to get something like this done uh, in the, in the world, I think it's really important that y'all came from the operator side of this rather than the vendor side of this, honestly. I think that's something people underestimate a great deal. Um, you know, having been at a vendor for a long time and then at another vendor and then at an operator and now back at a vendor, uh, it's different worlds. Um, you can do different things in different places. And there's advantages and disadvantages of working at both. And I think that's just, you know, just the way it plays out so well donald i know you are still at me not you me not you sharp on twitter yes rob any place people can get in touch with you if they want to talk to you about this uh, twitter or blog or github or whatever
1: i'm rob shakir on github very
2: creatively <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay and anise anything with you or are you kind of silent too on the media uh-
2: I'm I have a Twitter handle that I will use occasionally, Anis underscore S, but um GitHub I can be found at uh AA a. Shake, so AA a. and then okay. my last name.
0: I assume you're both on LinkedIn as well. Yes, certainly. Um, yeah, I don't I don't keep a Facebook account. And um so I'm Russ White. I'm at the network collective, rule eleven tech, at routing geek on Twitter. I log in occasionally on Twitter, and you can find me on LinkedIn. So that's all good. So thanks for joining us for this history of networking. And uh, we'll see you next time here at the Network Collective History of Networking Series.